Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. This is ABC News Daily. Twenty twenty two's been the year for the Labour Party, with a victory for Daniel Andrews in Victoria on the weekend and the win at the federal election back in May. When Anthony Albanese took over as PM six months ago, we asked 7.30's chief political correspondent, Laura Tingle, about how she thought he'd run the party and the parliament. Today, as it enters its last sitting week for the year, we check in with her again about what's changed and what to expect in the year ahead. Laura, a few people have said to me in recent times that politics is sort of a bit boring now. It's a bit kind of dull. <laughs> There's a, a quietness to it. I mean, do you feel the same way? Uh, look, it's not dull, but certainly less frantic than it was, uh, I think, for a really long time, Sam. The older amongst us will remember when Malcolm Fraser famously said that he wanted to get politics off the front page and um, it doesn't feel like it's been off the front page much for the last few decades really but I think there are a couple of things that have happened. One of them, that sort of sense of crisis that we've had around uh, around the pandemic has sort of reduced. I mean the p- pandemic still goes on uh, but obviously the, the level of government interventions is not as great and is not as politically fraught. We're continuing to have natural disasters, but they've sort of become an everyday item, if you like. Whereas once, you know, we had really terrible bushfires and everybody said, oh my God, this is terrible and what's the government going to do? You know, we're now talking about a period when government is looking at ways actively of having a permanent crisis response system in place because uh, it has been going on for so long. So there, there's all that background change which you've, you have to acknowledge. But I suppose much more conspicuously, there has been a really big change in the way politics is operating. We had really a couple of decades of uh, politicians feeling that they had to go out and make an announcement every day, of prime ministers who had to make an announcement every day, had to respond to things, had to feed the chooks, as they say, in the media. And uh, I think whatever else has happened with the new government, they haven't done that. Anthony Albanese hasn't felt compelled to get up every day and say something and be somewhere with a silly hat on. We should be supporting Australian businesses. So great to have the Rip Curl hat. Appreciate you pointing it out. I mean, there's still quite a lot of silly hats. And he also spreads it around so that we actually are hearing from ministers instead of necessarily the Prime Minister Mm. a lot more. And I think, in general, they, they are letting the discussion breathe a little bit more and only intervening when when it's necessary to do so when they've got something to say. Mm. So why did politicians feel like they needed to, as you say, feed the chooks? What was driving that? Uh, look, I think it, it started with John Howard, actually, at a federal level, and it was it was this idea of perpetual campaigning, that you didn't just campaign during an election campaign, but you campaigned right throughout the period of a parliament. Because you should use incumbency to be sort of making the point that you're out there doing stuff for people, announcing 
amounts of money or often re-announcing them, uh, just being in everybody's faces to sort of uh, give that sense of your taxpayer dollar at work. So that that was the sort of inspiration behind it. And I think often with these things, people forget why you're actually doing it, but that's just the way it's done. It's one of those things. And I think by the time of uh, it got to the Morrison government, it had become this sort of shambles of of that idea of very much the Scotty from marketing thing of always wanting something to announce and, and be out there and about and wearing silly hats. It's an exciting day. It's great to be back in the Hunter. $66 million to invest in widening the runway here and uh, various other works uh, here at Newcastle Airport. Plus, you know, an increasing number of crises that almost inevitably follow an ageing government, um, scandals about the behaviour of ministers, and, you know, it just made for a very noisy stage. Mm, we're certainly seeing a lot less, I think, it's safe to say, of Anthony Albanese than we heard from Scott Morrison when he was leading the country. But I guess also the point, Laura, would be that, you know, presence is important, isn't it? I mean, we don't particularly want politicians in our face, but we do want to know that they're there and they're doing what we want them to do. Oh, absolutely we do. And I suppose in the next couple of months we'll really sort of see whether in modern politics you can you can step back a bit. The Prime Minister has taken this on as quite an active and deliberate strategy, not just in terms of the political stunts but in terms of the debates. And I suppose I'd given as as an example of that the discussion about the voice to Parliament. Now, Anthony Albanese went to Gama and outlined a draft of the sort of question that would be asked in a referendum. Nago Yulnu Mala. There are now all these various consultative committees and reference groups and things working on the details of how all of this uh, plays out. But he is quite clear that, in his view, if he came out and said, this will be the question and this is what the structure of the voice as an institution will look like or, you know, whatever, his view was that that means that people can't get ownership of it, that, you know, this is something that people have to actually have some investment in and have had to discuss themselves. And if I go out there at this point and sort of be prescriptive, you know, people will just be reacting against what I say. When a government listens to people with experience, with earned knowledge of kinship and country and culture and community, when we trust in the values of self-determination and empowerment, then the policies and programs are always more effective. This is sort of interesting. I mean, it says a lot about Anthony Albanese, I think, as as a politician, that he's got the confidence to do that. He's got the confidence to say, well, essentially, I'll let this debate rip. You know, it might go wildly out of control, but I have enough confidence that I think this is the right thing to do and I will then come back in at some point and try to, you know, lead the discussion where it needs to go from there. So, you know, it's, it's sort of high-risk stuff in a modern world because people do sort of think that if you just keep churning uh, fodder out, that you're controlling the agenda. And uh, I think he's taking risks in being prepared to let that agenda go uh, a little awry on some things. Mm, So a quite different approach than we're used to in in recent years. I guess governments are there ultimately, Laura, to serve us. And while they more quiet at the moment. They're not so much in our face. It is important that we know what they're actually doing for us. 
So just give me a, a sort of sense of how this parliament, how this government is working and what they are actually achieving at the moment. Well, they are achieving quite significant things, I think, Sam. They've got the IR legislation, which, of course, aspects of that are contentious, uh, but it's interesting and, of course, you never hear about the uncontentious bits, but there are really significant changes to our industrial relations system that have got majority approval, Uh, the Anti-Corruption Commission, which is, of course, something that's been argued about for years. It's now uh, about to be debated in the Senate. Once again, most of the measures in it are are sort of subject of agreement. So those two are the big sort of signature issues, but there are other things like changes to childcare, uh, which have gone through um, much more quietly, Uh, legislation which looks at the rights of the territories to have voluntary assisted dying legislation, which of course is in place in every other state. Um, And because we've got all those independents on both crossbenches, the parliament itself is sort of revived, if you like. I mean, it used to be the case that everybody just went through the, the motions in the House of Representatives. You know, there's more debate going on in the House now. There's, there's got to be negotiation with the crossbenchers. There, there's a more, a more sort of, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it anyway, there's a more granular view of legislation and what, what is entailed in it. So it's quite a different environment to the one we have, we've seen previously. Well, Laura, we know that governments also, they have honeymoon periods, don't they? Joe Biden, in his campaign pitch back in 2020 for the presidential race, he promised to bring back boring. <laughs> you know, we, I think the US needed boring after <laughs> Donald Trump, that's for sure. But geez, you know, voters have really turned on him. His approval rating sitting around 40%. Is that because he's boring though? I, I, I don't know, but there's obviously lots of other things at play there too. If you want depression, doom and despair, vote for sleepy Joe Biden. I guess the question is, is that the sort of politics that people actually want? And boredom. You know the great thing? I always say someday these people, look at all of them back, look at all those cameras. They're going to get smart. They're going to endorse President Trump. Because if you had Sleepy Joe, then nobody's going to be interested in politics anymore. That's going to be the end of that. Look, I think people want government that looks competent and, as they say, at least they're trying. (laughs) Um, I think uh, the power of argument is not dead yet. I think if governments can come out and say, well, you know, this is why we're trying to do something, if it seems like a legitimate thing to do and that they can argue the case that their legislation is designed to do that, people will go, okay, that sounds fine. I think ultimately, you know, if you don't have that sense that that politicians are doing it for themselves, you know, that stories in the paper aren't dominated by controversies about politicians trying to line their own pockets uh, and it feels like grown-ups are in charge, I think people respond well to that, whether they sort of, you know, take palms out and dance in the streets, that's another point, but I think you know, the, the ambition of this government is really just, it's its like they talk about the relationship with China, which is to say we want to stabilise it. You know, when they don't set any higher bar than that than to say we just want, we just want it to sort of, sort of calm down, <laughs> calm the farm. Laura, this is the last sitting week for the year. What do you think we'll see next year? I mean, we're living through... Very difficult times, aren't we, in terms of the economy, in terms of cost of living for Australians. So what should we expect, I guess, once this honeymoon period is over for the Albanese government? I think the economy and the fact that people are really in 
terrible crises in their personal financial lives uh, is going to be the only story next year. Uh, and, you know, just what the government can and will do about that is going to be really interesting to watch because they have been very determined to sort of establish their responsible, for, you know, economic management credentials because um, all Labor governments live under the sort of half-life memory of, uh, of uh, the way people perceived uh, the Whitlam government. But I think the times are going to require, a, you know, a much more aggressive intervention by government to help households and uh, I think that will be the really big test for the government. Laura Tingle is 7.30's chief political correspondent. We'll be taking a deeper look at the government's industrial relations legislation and what it means for workers and wages tomorrow. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield, Chris Dengate and Sam Dunn, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer this week is Sydney Pete. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. To get in touch with the team, email us on abcnewsdaily at abc.net.au. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.